Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you'll be uplifted, empowered and revived by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ram Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now let's get into this week's message. I just want to say it's wonderful to see all of you. It's wonderful to be here today in the presence of God. This is a joy, right? This is a privilege. Nobody risked their life to be in this building this morning. We came freely. We're all safe. And now we have this joy of learning more about God together. And God is always, there's so much more, right? There's always more to God. And even as we were worshiping, I was reminded of this. One of my favorite truths in Scripture and in my own experience with God, is God can be found. God reveals himself to those who seek him. All the time. And it's not just like a one-time seek and find. It's a lifetime of seek and find. So there's more of God for us this morning. There's what Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. And before you came in this room, some of us were gathered together and we had prayer and we were worshiping. And I just sense, I love this truth that there's fresh bread from heaven for all of us today, right? There's this revelation of God, this sustenance from God that's fresh, it's living, and it's relevant to each of us today. And that's why we're in this room, right? We've all come together, one, to honor the Lord, right? We've come because we're the redeemed or we want to find more of God or we know God and we show up to give him honor. We make the effort to show up in the presence of God with the people of God because he's worthy of the effort and he's worthy of our attention. But we're here as well because we want to know him more. We're here as a sign that we're a seeking people. And we're here because we are loving him back. We're responding to what he's done for us. And there's no, this is the, this is the truth about even what I want us to, the posture I always want us as a church to have when we come into the presence of God is this is not obligation. This is privilege. Right? Because Jesus, even on Palm Sunday, the original Palm Sunday back, back in Matthew 21, where we're about to go to, he, he goes, you know, he comes into Jerusalem. He curses the fig tree because it doesn't have fruit. He clears the temple and the cursing of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple. It's this acted out parable that's basically saying he is against religion without substance. God gets angered at religion without substance. And we're here today not to fulfill an obligation, not to, to try to soothe our conscience, right? Not to have a work that then we feel like we've, we earned something from God. We're here because we stand, what Romans, what Romans 5 says is we stand in this privileged place. We stand in this privileged place where we have access to God. And so this is not something that we're forced to do to come together as the people of God. This is our response to the lavish love of God. It's our thank you for what he did for us. 
And in, the, in a day when you have so many options of how you could spend your time, I want you to see your coming in the presence of God with the people of God. This is an outward expression of your inner gratitude for what God has done for you. And this morning, I feel hungry, you know, just to, again, dive into the Word of God that does give us sustenance and fresh bread. Who's hungry for the Word? Well, I don't want to live on yesterday's bread. I want fresh bread. And I'm hungry for the Word. And, and uh, we, we, ha we had a celebration of our... Um, I'm going to go to Matthew 21, 1 through 9 in just a minute. But we, um, we had a little... On April 1st... 2015, right, Joe? April 1st, 2015, Joe, Stacy, Claire, Olivia, Chloe, Reeser, they moved from Hamilton, Alabama, this cute little southern town in the south of the United States, and they moved all the way up to Scotland. They were north of Aberdeen and Peterhead, where they literally thought they were going to die, not from martyrdom, but from freezing to death, because it was so cold, and we were there for short term. We had these weird prophetic words that we didn't understand. We knew we were going to be in Scotland for six to 12 months-ish, and then we were going to go to Manchester. We didn't really know what we were going to be doing. We knew what ministry we were going to be partnering with, Stella's Voice, that's an anti-trafficking ministry. We were there for, ended up being 15 months, then we came down to Manchester to plant Ramp Church. It was one of those kind of odd prophetic journeys of like, okay, everybody in our, our community, our accountability, our leadership was like, yeah, we agree you need to go to Scotland first. We're not exactly sure what God's going to do there, but go by Scotland, and then you're going to go down to Manchester, and you're going to plant Ramp Church. And so now we've been in the UK for seven years, and I've been reflecting on some of the prophetic words that brought us here, the call of God that brought us here. And I've been savoring those words I've been wrestling with those words. I've been questioning, honestly, some of those words, the fulfillment of some of those things. It's been all of the above. I've been rejoicing and remembering, this is amazing, first of all, God, that you even speak to people, right? God, what do I mean by prophetic word? He tells the future before it happens. It's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, he says the Holy Spirit's going to tell you about the future before it happens. And then when you remember, oh yeah, Jesus said that before it happened, then you will have faith and believe in me. And so I've been wrestling and rejoicing and praying and evaluating, and I've been just thinking, Lord, I'm so thankful for what you are doing here in the UK and what you've done through our lives. Any move of God, just one soul being impacted is worth it. And I've been wanting to just be grateful. And I am grateful. I really am. Just to be called by God. I feel grateful, right? When I was a young girl, I encountered God. And I said, use me, Lord, anywhere, anyhow. Just let me be in the middle of what you're doing in some way, somehow. And I got gripped. I mean, I had these supernatural encounters with God that I could not deny that God wanted my life for some reason. And I've been reflecting on those encounters and those calls that have, maybe some of you have, you have these history, these moments in your life where God shows up in your life and he shows you that one, he's more powerful, right? And that's really important for me because I think, especially as humans, sometimes we, we like power, right? We like to be in control. So sometimes God gives us these encounters where he's just basically showing us like we're plastered to the floor and he's just saying, okay, who's in charge? <laughs> 
Who's, who's got the power? Who's got the glory, right? And it's this revelation, like body, soul, and spirit. God is God, and I am man. And he is full of power and glory. And as I've been, as I've been thinking about the call and the cost and the fruits and evaluating, and I've been excited, I've been thinking, I'm like, Lord, this is everything that you've done is wonderful. But Lord, this is not everything you promised. <laughs> this is wonderful, but God, like, do you ever feel like sometimes you have more faith than God? Like, I can remember being called and getting wrecked as a teenager. I had, like, these expectations, these visions of going into my high school and, like, people just falling out in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And so I started this prayer meeting and lunch and God starts to move and, you know, people start coming to church. But still, it's like sometimes I'm like, God, I feel like... I mean, I'm not trying to be arrogant, and I know I probably am arrogant, but I feel like sometimes I expect more than what you actually deliver. Like, you called us to England because you said there's a great awakening in England. And I can maybe, like, count on, I don't know, two hands, how, how the, some of the fruit in some areas that I've seen. So I'm trying to reconcile, right, this prophetic word of God, his part, and my part, and how many of you, I mean, am I the only one? You guys are getting nervous. You're like, oh gosh, pastor's having a breakdown. Is she going to be okay? Are we going to be here next week? Like, like, chill out. This is the journey of faith, right? It's, we're, the, we're the people of faith. We see something invisible. We see something invisible. And then we build our whole lives after that invisible city that we see beyond this land. So if you're not wrestling with God to some degree about some prophetic promises, then I question whether you're actually following him. Because if everything he tells you makes sense to you, and if you see the fulfillment of every promise right here, right now, I don't see how that lines up with the people in this book. I don't see it. I see, I see these people, they live in part kingdom here, and then they live with this prophetic pull and this discontent between kingdom here now, kingdom come. They live in that wrestling, right? And the wrestling doesn't disqualify them, and the wrestling doesn't mean that they're not people of faith. The wrestling, like Gideon, it fuels their life of faith. Where's the God? Where's the miracles that our ancestors saw? Where's the God of Elijah? Where, is, where are the signs and wonders that our forefathers saw? And that shouldn't freak us out. We should live in that tension. God, this is great, but this doesn't look like a great awakening in England. I mean, let's be honest. If I said, is England in a great awakening? You would say, yes, you see God moving, right? Yes, God is moving. But it's the cloud the size of a man's hand. Right? And we're believing for an outpouring, a flood, every church, every ministry. Where, where you can say, oh, where's the move of God in England? He said, go anywhere. Go any street, any church, there's a move of God. People, And what do I mean by move of God? I mean the kingdom that is already fully existing through the reign of Christ begins to break into our here and now and manifest. 
And this is why we even see throughout the gospel, Jesus comes. He says, the kingdom's here. The kingdom's coming. And he begins to do these signs, wonders, and miracles. And these signs, wonders, and miracles, they release these manifestations of the kingdom of God. And they're signs of everything that's to come when he's fully reigning from Jerusalem. The second coming of Christ where there will be no sickness, no disease, no oppression, no torment from the enemy. Complete manifested victory for all who follow him. These signs and wonders, they break into our here and now. And they testify that God is still ruling and reigning and that it's about to all be swallowed up in his victory. So a move of God is this outbreak through people's lives, ordinary people's lives of the kingdom manifesting through gifts of the spirit. And the glory of God comes. And when the glory comes, even people who were far from God, who didn't even know God, they begin to encounter God. It's what it says in Isaiah, where you weren't even looking for me and, I, and you were found by me. You didn't even call and I answered. When a move of God happens in a nation... People who aren't even looking begin to find him. People who aren't even calling on him, they begin to hear him. Because there's a remnant in that nation who were calling and who were looking, not just for their own selves, but for the people in that nation. So now let's backtrack to Palm Sunday. Because today's Palm Sunday. So back in, the, back in the day when Jesus was on the earth, this started the week of Passover. Palm Sunday was when uh, the, all these Jews from all over were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, which was the celebration of them coming out of Egypt, coming out of captivity into the promised land. And as I've been reflecting and reading about this particular Sunday that marks the beginning of this holy week of our Lord, coming into glory, passing through death, conquering, raising again on Easter next Sunday, I'm just going to tell you what's been most encouraging to me. And I hope that will encourage you as well. Who needs encouragement? Let's look at Matthew uh, 21. I mean, yes, Matthew 21. I'm going to start in verse um, 1 and read through verse 9. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So the disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. And most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And this was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in his highest heavens. Now I want us to go back to the book of Zechariah. Now if you're looking in your Bible, it's about two-thirds through. It's one of those minor prophets. And let's look at Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. 
And the key phrase that, that's been ministering to me about even Palm Sunday and Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and they're laying down their palm branches with this, which was a sign back then of victory, right? The king, royalty, the king is coming. And this is one of the only times throughout the gospels where there's actually this public acknowledgement that Jesus is the Messiah. So this same crowd, like this is one of those first times where it's like the crowd is swept up into this prophetic moment, acknowledging the Messiah, the son of David, is coming into Jerusalem. Now when they say the Messiah is coming into Jerusalem, that culture, those people, they have so many prophecies about this moment. And remember, it's Passover week. So it's also this amazing prophetic collision because right now, like when Jesus came into Jerusalem in Matthew 21, Israel is oppressed and ruled by Rome. And it's Passover week, which symbolized when they were under Egypt's oppression and God brought them out of that oppression of their enemies and brought them into the promised land to the crossing of the Red Sea. So there's this whole prophetic force, momentum behind all that's coming. Okay. And so when the disciples, and even that's that, that phrase where, where Jesus is quoting, the, the people begin to quote Hosanna in the highest, that's from multiple prophecies throughout the Old Testament. So they're in this prophetic moment, but let's look in Zechariah 9. Now when I, when I was reading, um, I'll, I'll read this verse first, Zechariah 9, verse 9 and 10. Rejoice, O people of Zion, shout in triumph, O people of Israel. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. So in that day, when this was being written, Israel was about 20 years past returning from Babylon, where they had been in captivity and they had been exiled to Babylon, right? So they returned to Jerusalem. And there's all these prophecies, okay? They're living in Zechariah's day. All these prophecies about the Messiah who's going to bring them out of oppression, bring them into freedom, and they're going to rule and reign with him. But in Zechariah's day, even in the midst of all these prophecies about the, uh, the Messiah, they're living in a Jerusalem where the temple has not fully been rebuilt. The foundation of the temple had been laid, but had not been fulfilled. And they still keep getting these prophetic words about this Messiah. How many of you have ever been in this situation? Like, like, I felt like I so resonated when I read this story because here they are, okay? They need a manifestation of the promise, but they just keep getting more promise, right? So it's hard in Zechariah's day, okay? They've just returned. Their temple's not even built. They're still being taxed by another government. Like they, they've got a hard life and they've got all these prophecies about salvation and deliverance for Israel. And they're seeing some of those things fulfilled, right? They're, they're back in Jerusalem. And the temple's got a foundation laid. But then they just keep getting more prophetic words about what's to happen. Okay? And now, let's fast forward. 
midst of a, so I feel like I feel like that is the story of our life right now, right? We have these prophetic promises. What do I mean by prophetic? Jesus, come follow Jesus and you get eternal life, abundant life, salvation, healing, deliverance. We get this down payment, this experience of freedom. We get victory over sin now. And then we're waiting for what Paul says is the full manifestation of that salvation. So we're living with promise, but we're living also with unfulfilled promise. And what our hearts are longing for is some of these prophetic words to just materialize in a very literal way. So now Jesus is coming back into Jerusalem in Matthew 21, and the culture that he's stepping to is thinking he's about to take out Rome. Right? I mean, there's so, when, when in Luke 9, Jesus is trying to start preparing the way. And he, in Luke 9, he starts talking, listen, I'm about to go to Jerusalem, and the, I'm about to suffer. And it's like they hear Jerusalem, and you know what, next, the, next, the very next passage in Luke 9 says they start breaking out of this argument about who's going to be great. Right? And they couldn't understand that he would go to Jerusalem and suffer. Because if the Messiah is going to Jerusalem, then that means the Messiah is about to overthrow Rome and we're going to be in power and we're going to have some position in who's going to be the greatest. And they couldn't understand how the fulfillment of this was going to play out. It was hidden from them. I felt so encouraged by this whole dialogue of what God was doing even in, this, in, the, um, in Jesus stepping in Jerusalem and how he's fulfilling his word here in our community. And I just want to basically encourage you with just a few truths from these things about God's word over your life. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I don't really have a lot of prophetic words. Like, you know, I don't, I don't have any clear prophetic words. I'm saying if you're a believer, you've got bukus of words over your life right? You've got words like about your life actually being worth something and being an impact. You've got words about the kingdom of this God breaking through your life. You've got words about a river of God flowing through your life. You've got words about unspeakable joy full of glory. You've got words about peace that passes all understanding, about healing for all brokenness, shalom. That means nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing lacking in your life. These are all promises over your life. And does it take some weird prophet to prophesy them for them to be over your life? It's right here in this word, these promises of God about abundant, eternal life, about purpose busting out of the seams of your life. But you're in Jerusalem, oppressed by Rome. The Messiah is coming in on a donkey's colt, and you're thinking this is all about to get really bright and beautiful. And it's the same feeling I can feel. I can feel it. All these prophetic words about us going to England, about that whole nation's about to be slain in the Holy Ghost. Just like those visions I had when I was going to walk up in that high school hallway. You know, and God's going to send revival. And what does that look like? Come on, do you have faith like I do? Don't you see these kind of things when you're praying? I know you do. I hear about them. And that pleases God. That pleases God. So now... Jesus is coming, and he doesn't take over Rome, right? And a week later, he's in the grave. And they're on the road to Emmaus right after that, and they're trying to process what the heck happened. Because they had these words, these hopes, 
And I'm not talking about a few, I'm talking about hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah coming to deliver and redeem Israel from her enemies. In fact, so many prophetic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled that there was a mathematician who actually counted up the prophetic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled and the probability of any human actually fulfilling even just eight prophetic prophecies in a lifetime on their own power is impossible. Like there's so many zeros behind the probability that our brain can't even function that. And I was trying to wrap my head around it today and it's something about like if coins covered the state of Texas and the coins were two feet deep and you picked up one coin and that was the coin, that's like the prophetic probability of any human fulfilling just even a small amount of all these prophetic words that God fulfilled through Jesus. So this is amazing. Even that phrase in Matthew 21 that I just read, he did this to fulfill the prophecy. I just felt hope, just this sense of I feel like Israel. I'm out of exile, but the foundation's only laid. I'm still being taxed by this other government. And here we are now in Matthew 21, and we're in Israel, and you're riding on a colt, but you're saying to me that I can't be great and that you're about to suffer. I'm trying to add up how that equals the overthrow of my enemies, and all the while, God's just at work. And their understanding of how he's going to do it is getting shattered. So they don't rely on it. And God's still going to fulfill his word. And so what do I get from this journey, this prophetic journey? Because now, oh, this is even my favorite part about this whole thing. So Jesus is fulfilling prophecy, right? He said in Matthew 21, I'm doing this. I'm coming into Jerusalem and people are acknowledging that I'm the Messiah. But the truth is he's also again prophesying again. He's fulfilling prophecy and he's prophesying in the same act all in one. And what's he prophesying about? Well, let's go to Revelation. Let's go to Revelation. Um, is that verse in Revelation that I was? Revelation 7. So he's fulfilling prophecy, but he's also prophesying. And he's prophesying. In fact, most of the most quoted, so in the New Testament, right, God fulfills Old Testament prophecy. And even the book of Zechariah is most often quoted in the book of Revelation. So there's prophecy that's been fulfilled in the life of Jesus, but there's still prophecy that's going to be fulfilled in the life of Jesus in Revelation. So in Revelation chapter 7, let's talk about the final Palm Sunday. Someday, could we just all come together and read the whole book of Revelation? Really, y'all. Do you not love this book. Even though my mind understands probably 0.0001% of it, there's so much prophetic layers there. There's something in this book that pulls us forward. It just pulls us forward. So Revelation 7, I'm just going to cut right into the middle of this in verse 9. After I saw, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count. This is why Peter, James, John, he couldn't just overthrow Rome. 
He couldn't just come in when he did in Matthew 21 and overthrow Rome and call it a day and call victory for Israel. That statement, that statement right there, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and they held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and they worshiped God. And they sang, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's the final Palm Sunday there. And we're in that story. Come on, because of what Jesus did back then, we get to experience Palm Sunday. We get to be in the final outcome of his rule and reign and us throwing down our palms and our crowns and robed in white linen. And so Jesus all along, right? He's giving Israel these prophecies, but he's also all along intending for those prophecies to be bigger than just Israel. And see, God has been speaking to you. God has spoken to us as a church community. And there's promise over your life, and there's promise that's yet to be fulfilled. But what, what am I calling us to? What am I asking of us? What, what, what tension am I, am I trying to resolve? I'm trying to resolve the tension of believing in the here and now for manifestations but living also with the awareness that what God is going to do in you and through you is beyond just the here and now. It's just so much bigger. So when God has given you a word, here's what we can learn from Palm Sunday. First of all, God will fulfill his word. Well, some of you are in a fight with addiction. Some of you are in a fight with a physical illness. You have a word in Christ that's yes and amen. The word of healing over your life is yes. The word of freedom from sin is yes. It's a final eternal yes in Christ. Physical illness, disease, brokenness in your body, brokenness in your mind, brokenness in your heart. The answer is yes and it's final. And you're living in the tension. You're believing for it now because faith is now. It's a now faith. Faith believes God is willing now. Faith is even those Jews being filled with excitement. God's about to overthrow our enemies now. Now. Faith is now. Faith believes God can do it now. But hope keeps us going in the wait. It's well, if it's not now, I know it's coming. So you have these promises over your life. And this is what's so important just to remember. God will do what he said he will do. God will do it. God will send awakening to England. He will do it. He's going to raise up an army. If I die believing it, I still know he'll do it. Right? God's going to fulfill his promise. My favorite, one of my favorite descriptions of Jesus is in Revelation 19, where it says there's this rider on the white horse, and he's coming. And his name 
is called faithful and true. Every promise for abundant life, peace that passes all understanding, the answer is yes now, yes now, and yes for the future, but yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. So God will fulfill his word. And then here's the other thing that we know, and this is really important. Because they had the context of their past experience with God of delivering them out of Egypt into the promised land, literally defeating the oppressing nations, they had that in their mind, that's what the Messiah was gonna do. So what do we learn from this prophetic journey? God's gonna do it differently, say differently. God works differently. And this keeps us humble. And some of you, you have experiences and words, and you've got these interpretations. Like I, you hear God say, missionary, like I did when I was eight years old, and you think I'm gonna be working in, with orphans in a third world country. Or he's gonna consecrate me. I remember this consecration, I was experiencing this revival, and I felt God calling me to this really intense consecration, but I was at home with babies changing diapers. Or, or in, the, in, in my school, when I was in high school, like believing for a move of God. And it did happen. And you know, it happened through these relationships where they transferred from this religious understanding of God to this real love relationship with God. So God works differently. And in order for us to corporately see God move in our midst, we're going to have to be open to him doing it differently than the way we think it should be done. We've got to be bendy, flexible. The way God works, it won't just be different, but the difference, it could offend us. I'm not talking about Jesus shows up on the scene and, and it was so different and they loved it. No, they had a struggle. It was so different, it offended some of them. It was so different. It, it wasn't just a head scratcher. It was a back turner. It was like, um, no, I don't want that. So if we want a move of God in this church, I'm, I, I don't know how to say this. It's, it's what Joe said the other week. Lay down your preference of how he does that. Get over your style preference. Get over your timeline. Get over the fact that you may have to wake up early, stay up all night, come here, go there, do all. Let go of those suggestions and be open to God doing it differently. Because differently, it's often new. You've never been there. You've never done that. And this is what God says to Israel in Isaiah 42. He says, I'm going to lead blind Israel down an unfamiliar path. I'm going to lead them along a way they've never been before. And so when God calls you, he's calling you to a new, different way. And he's so in charge about how he's going to do it. He says, don't even, when Jesus is outlaying, he's in Matthew 25, he's talking about the coming of his kingdom. He's so trying to get these people prepared and he knows it's going to be a struggle. They're going to have to really be discerning that he even throws in there. He says, and remember Lot's wife, don't look back. Don't look back. Keep going forward. Don't let the world and the world that you came from pull you back so that you miss where you're called to go. You've got to let God do it differently. You've got to let it be new and unfamiliar. And you've got to be okay with that. It's going to be unfamiliar. 
You're not going to be able to always figure it out. You're not going to always be able to connect every dot with how the prophecy is being fulfilled. But you've got to be willing to embrace the different thing, the new thing, and the, the challenging way. God's way. It was challenging. It was challenging because it was new. It was challenging because it was different. It was challenging because it involved a cross. It was challenging because it involved a cost. It was challenging because it was offensive. It was challenging because it was going against their conceptions. It was going against some of the framework that they had built this whole concept of the prophetic fulfillment looking like. And we've got to understand that just because it's different doesn't mean it's not God. Just because it's new doesn't mean he's not in it. Just because it's challenging doesn't mean his glory won't flow through it. This is how I want us to embrace a move of God here. And then the last thing you have to remember, and the band can come on up, is God's not in a hurry. He's not in a hurry. I mean, think about how the gap, right, between Israel coming out of Egypt... And then Zechariah showing up and prophesying. And then how many years, what, 400 plus years between Zechariah and Jesus entering Jerusalem. And now we're talking thousands of years later until then the second coming of Christ where he enters Jerusalem again. God's not in a hurry. And one of the things I think about, I've learned even from being married to Joe, is what is it about hurry? Some people just really don't like to be hurried, Right? And Joe is like this. I mean, Joe could probably preach a whole message. It's like, once you start to hurry him, he's just going to take longer. <laughs> and, and this is why I think it is, because he's not, he's not going to be controlled, right? He doesn't want to be controlled. He wants to be controlled by my time, my preference, my whatever. And then sometimes I think that when we get these timelines, things, we try to hurry God, and it is this way of us trying to control something that is out of our control, and God's not, this is, what, this is the thing about God, is he is always higher on a whole other universe than we are. So it doesn't make logical sense for us to hurry because we don't really fully comprehend his plan. So God is in control and his ways are higher, as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's what it says in Isaiah. My ways are higher, as high as the heavens are above the earth. My ways are different than yours. Now, the thing about the heavens, right, is there is no ceiling to the heavens. You can't measure the height of the heavens. So when God's ways are higher than our ways, it's not just talking about we, we, we can't comprehend how different God's ways are than our ways. And so what do we do with this tension? What do we do? I mean, how do we live in this prophetic tension? This is how we do it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Do you know it by heart? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You trust the Lord with all your heart. You trust him. You are able to be confident in his character. You're not tied to an outcome. You're tied to his nature, his character and you trust in the character of God. That he's faithful, that he's true, that he's able, that power and glory belong to him. You trust in the character of God. You trust in it, not occasionally. 
not just when things are really hard. You trust him with all your heart all the time. You're not a crisis Christian where you just show up with trust when you're in desperate need. You trust him with all your heart every day. You live by trust. It's this constant dependence on his character. You trust in the Lord with all your heart and you're not gonna depend on your own understanding. That means when your understanding and your circumstances are conflicting with his character, you choose trusting in his character over your understanding and your circumstances. You trust in him and you don't lean on your own understanding. You seek his will in all you do, all you do. Not an occasional big decision. Everything you do, you seek first the kingdom of God. And he shows you which path to take. He shows you the path because you don't know the path because the path is new and different and unfamiliar. So you live utterly dependent on him. Let's stand to our feet. I just want us to create space for people all over this room to transfer trust to the character of God. To trust in his goodness, his character. He is faithful and true. And that means regarding relationships, that means regarding finances, that means regarding some of the issues and the battles that you're in. Trusting in him and reminding yourself of his faithfulness. And some of you may need to come forward for prayer because you've, you've actually, you feel lost. You, you wanna put your trust in Christ, but you don't know. And that's, that's okay. Everybody needs agreement in prayer sometimes. And that's why we have these prayer teams. So I wanna encourage you to come forward if you want to transfer your trust to Christ, if you wanna give your life to Him. Today's the day of salvation. He's the God that leads to eternal life. He's the God that leads us to salvation, healing and deliverance. And as they're worshiping, our prayer teams can come. And those of you who aren't coming forward, I want you to engage your faith with God. I want you to search your heart. I want you to remind yourself of the call of God on your life. I want you to remind yourself of those prophetic promise, promises. And I want you to release faith that God will do everything He said He would do in this nation, in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your children, in your purpose.